listening to the Up and Under podcast, starting in 3, 2, 1. Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Up and Under podcast. I'm your host, Hani. Joining me remotely is Zeeshan. Yo. Alright, man, so we're basically around or nearing the midway point of this shortened NBA season, and we're kind of getting an idea of what teams are kind of in the running for a championship and what teams are kind of, you know, sort of heading for the lottery, to be nice. Um, So in this episode, we kind of wanted to just dive into some of those, some of the teams that are near the top that are, you know, gunning for championships or have championship aspirations and kind of break down to see, are they actually true contenders or are they just pretenders? Now, there are a total of six teams that we feel are in the contendership Bubble. Those teams are uh, in the Eastern Conference, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and Boston. Uh, the Western Conference, we have the Utah Jazz, uh, LA Lakers, and LA Clippers. Now, we're not going to waste your time and talk about, you know, Brooklyn, uh, the Lakers, and the Clippers, just based, based on the fact that we already know that they are true contenders in their own right. You know, just to quickly touch upon them, Brooklyn you know, you have Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. You know, enough said. Like you're, you're, you're truly in the contending, contending, uh, portion of the league, man. Like there's no question. It's just matter of can they get to that stage? Can they actually get to a championship? That's the whole question with Brooklyn. So they are, they are a true contender, no doubt. Then the Lakers, obviously, you have the best player in the world in LeBron. Uh, the Lakers have been playing very well this season. And they're the reigning well, champs. Well, minus as of late, but I mean, as of late, I mean, AD is is still hurt as well. But and you shooter. have to, well, shooters out because of COVID. Yeah, but either way, like the Lakers are still a good team. They're still the reigning champs. And when you still have LeBron James, you're always a always a contending team, even if you're the garbage Cavs. And you know, and somehow LeBron gets you to the finals. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, the Lakers definitely contenders. And then finally, the Clippers. Clippers, obviously, you know, you can make jokes about how, you know, they had way off P in the crew last season. You know, they choked against the Nuggets. But this season, you're seeing it. There's, we all knew they had the talent to be a championship-level team. And we're seeing it this year. So you have still Kawhi. You have Paul George. Even you have now Serge Ibaka. You have some good pieces around them. So the Clippers are still a championship-contending team. Uh, once again, I think it's similar to Brooklyn. Is will they actually ascend to that level? Uh, and again, we will only will know that it once the playoffs arrive. So those three teams we know are for sure contenders. But it brings us to the other uh, remaining teams that we want to we want to talk about. You know, and you know, it's it's kind of interesting to see because some of these teams are having are doing very well. Some of these teams are actually not doing pretty well, but they're still in that conversation of, and they're still actually pursuing a championship uh, as organizations. So we wanted to break down these teams, and we'll start off with the Philadelphia 76ers. And I'll let Zishan take it away. Yeah, um, just to touch upon your point too as well. Uh, like, these seven teams that we named are all obviously, they have championship aspirations, right? Nobody's doubting the fact that they're at the upper echelon of the league. Right, yeah. they they're they're these seven teams that are legitimately gunning for a championship. Everyone else is kind of you know a fringe or out of the championship window. But as we're gonna see, these 
teams, I think we can still classify as whether or not they're, as Hani said, contenders or pretenders. Now, again, based off of the general definition, these guys are all contenders, right? Because they all have championship aspirations. But we really want to deep dive and break down if each team is truly, in our opinion, uh, a contender or are they just, you know, on that fringe uh, aspect of the league where they they have championship aspirations, but we just don't feel like they can get it done this season. Um, so as Hani said, I'll start off with the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, the Philadelphia 76ers, after, you know, their interesting offseason have been playing very well. Um, they are currently the first seed in the Eastern Conference. Um, I'll talk about this with another team later on, too. But the Philadelphia 76ers, I think they're an interesting team, right? So they added some veteran presence, right, with Danny Green and Dwight Howard. Um, they picked up some more shooting, especially, again, with Danny Green, um, especially with Seth Curry. Um, and then, you know, they have a new coach in Doc Rivers, right? So when you take all of those into account, those are definitely upgrades over what they have, especially their coaching staff, right? When you're talking about, we've had our criticisms of Doc Rivers, right? We've definitely had our criticisms of Doc Rivers. But there's no denying that he's a substantial upgrade over Brett Brown, right? There's yeah. no denying that. Um so when you add in all of those factors um, and add in all those pieces that they got this offseason, there's no doubt that they should be better this season. But there's still a number of questions that surround them um, and a number of things that have happened to them this season that have helped them to get to that first spot in the Eastern Conference and made them look as impressive as they are. Um, the first factor we have to talk about is Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid has been an absolute monster this season. Um, he definitely looks better. He looks like he's taking that next step. We've mentioned it previously in some of our episodes past as well. He definitely looks like he's naked. He's taking that uh, next step in his development. Joel Embiid is a bona fide MVP contender as of right now, and he looks amazing. Another guy that's stepped up very well for this for them, um, and which we should have, I think. Well, we kind of saw it, but we should have probably seen it a bit more. Is Tobias Harris? We know he's had his best career uh, years under Doc Rivers. Um, you know, when you think about his LA Clippers year, where he was almost an All Star. Um, so it, it's no surprise that he's having a great season once again with Doc Rivers, and he's taken that second option um, on offense for the team. They so you know with all of those points. You know, you can say, oh, what's what's the questions about them? They, they they just look like a better team. That's, you know, it's pretty simple. It's not as simple as that, right? First of all, they started out with a mildly, uh, a relatively mild schedule, right? So they, if we're being honest, they haven't played the best of teams. As we know, the Eastern Conference is kind of seriously not as good as the Western Conference this year. Um and again, it is a very weird season, so everyone's just like all over the place. But the Eastern Conference, for a fact, has not been as good as the Western Conference when we're looking at them uh, record-wise. So the Philadelphia 76ers have had a relatively mild schedule. That's number one. Um, and then, you know, so they've definitely improved their scoring and defensive outputs. However, if we want to be true to our opinion of what they are, we have to look at what they were last year, right? And if we're being real... Um, their ratings are about the same last year. So in twenty in the twenty nineteen to twenty twenty season last year, they had an offensive rating of one hundred eleven point three, which was good for thirteenth out of thirty, right around middle of the pack. While their defensive rating was one hundred nine, um, which was eight out of thirty, 
and that was in the top 10 and their net rating was a 2.4 so that was literally 10th in the league whereas this year you we see that they have a 112.6 offensive rating which is an increase from last year but comparing it to this year's teams they're at the exact same spot they're 13th in the league right so they technically haven't gotten any better even though they are scoring more points um, and then defensively they have a 109.9 rating right which is worse than last year but it's actually better in terms of the ranking wise they are one spot ahead of last year they have the seventh uh, ranked defense in the league and they have a 2.7 net rating which is ninth out 30th so they're still a very good team but if you compare them to what they are what they were last year where there was a number of people had criticisms of them last year including us they are they look about the same if we're being real with the exception of Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris right they still have the same turnover issues they're ranked 28th in the league um it looks like maybe Ben Simmons Joel Embiid might never figure out how to stop turning the ball over it kind of looks like it at this point their bench is still hit and hit or miss they are fifth in scoring but if we look at what they are as a team and we look at the games their bench is a bit hit or miss especially if you go down the line of their names off the bench um guys like Dwight Howard who was brought in there to bring more stability to that big man spot after Joel Embiid leaves the game um has kind of been hit or miss he's kind of not being great for them Seth Curry has cooled down significantly from uh, the beginning of the season, all right? And again, I think a lot of the issues that surround them are the same as last year, where they have the same issue of which 76er squad is going to come to play each night. And we saw this with the Raptors, uh, like as Raptors fans, right? That, that first game... Um, the Raptors played very well against them. Philly just did not seem like they wanted to be there. Whereas in the second game, they had a significantly better start. Now, the Raptors did weather that um, and played well against them in the second half. But we saw what Philly can be. It was a tale of two halves, right? Um, and so it, it still seems to be the puzzling question with Philadelphia. And the most confusing thing, I think, if you're a Philly fan, is what do we actually make of this team? like which version is going to show up um and and that's a recurring issue since last year yeah i mean i think where i see you stand with the sixers and i've been very critical of the philadelphia 76ers and i think mostly it had to do with roster construction and you mentioned before like uh the ratings have kind of been very similar these past like over the past three seasons and that has a lot to do with the fact that your main two options, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, have been constants. And you know that they're great, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They're both great players in their own rights. And, but, you know, Embiid has looked a lot better this season. Um, and that's been a major factor as to why, although, you know, ranking-wise, they're not, they don't look like a different team. But they're performing as a better team because of the fact that, and Bede's, you know, taking that step up and in turn elevating his team in the process. But I do want to touch upon, you know, obviously the fact that you did mention, you know, they do have some of these issues still. And one of them is which team will show up. To me, that's, I mean, that's been a recurring team with, theme with the Sixers. But I think now that the roster is constructed better, and now you have a coach who can util- who's utilizing these guys better, like utilizing Ben Simmons in a role that he's doing very well in this season. 
uh, for his standards. Tobias Harris is doing very well, and Embiid's doing well, very well. And I think overall, as a whole, that makes the that puts the Sixers in a better position to succeed. Now it depends on do will they put the effort to do so. That is yet to be seen. But I think a key element that I've seen with the Sixers this season is that. They they can play multiple different ways. You know, they can play small, they can play big, they can stretch the floor, they can play inside, you know, and I think that's something that I notice a lot with them. And I think, at least, you know, uh, for me anyways, I think that's the big reason why they're, at, they're, they're in the position that they are this season. Yeah, like as you were saying, right, though the stats don't exactly say that they're much of a different team, I think the eye test matters, right? And yeah. we can both say this as Toronto Raptors fans because we do see Philly four times a year in the Atlantic, well, I guess three times this year, right, in the Atlantic division. The eye test matters, and Philly looks significantly better. They they look like they know how to weather the storms of the game, right? Whereas before, you saw if the opposing team went on a run, Philly would kind of deflate, and, you know, they would roll over sometimes. Yeah. A lot of that has to do with the veteran presence that they added with guys like Danny Green, Dwight Howard, um, a, a capable shooter in Seth Curry, and the coaching presence that they have now, right? Whatever you want to say about Doc Rivers, he still has a championship under his belt. He knows how to get that far, right? So he has that he has that requisite experience, whereas we can see, um, especially during the latter stages of, of his tenure, Brett Brown was probably hated by everyone in Philadelphia, including the organization, the players, the fans, like nobody liked him, right? Everyone had huge issues with him, which was what contributed to guys like Jimmy Butler and J.J. Redick wanting to get out of there. Um, so for that reason, again, we're not the biggest Sixers fans, especially since we're Raptors fans. But for those reasons, you know, the veteran, the veteran leadership um, and the coaching change, as well as the fact that nobody in the Eastern Conference can realistically stop Joel Embiid. There's nobody in the East who has a center that can match up well with Joel Embiid, especially given how well Joel Embiid is playing and how assertive he looks this year compared to where you know where he might have drifted out of ga- in and out of games last year. He looks like a dominant presence this year. And so yeah. with Joel Embiid playing like he is and the Sixers and their new pieces, my verdict for the Philadelphia 76ers is actually that I would put them as a legitimate contender coming out of the East. Yeah, I have to agree with you there on, on putting them as a contender. And I think you touched upon it mentioning of Joel Embiid that no, not many of the, the, team, the other teams in the Eastern Conference can really stop Joel Embiid. You know, you look at a team like Brooklyn, they don't really have a big man that can keep up with Embiid. You know, they have DeAndre Jordan, but I would take Embiid over DeAndre Jordan. Any DeAndre's day. washed. Let's exactly. So there you go. So Brooklyn doesn't have one. Milwaukee, Brook Lopez or, or Joel Embiid. Once again, I'm taking Brook. Lo- I'm taking. Sorry, <laughs> I was about to say Brook Lopez. No, but I'm taking Joel Embiid uh, in that matchup as well. Then Boston, Daniel Tice. I mean, Boston has gave Philly some fits, but I think Joel has kind of grown past that over the past couple of seasons. So when you kind of look at the the contending teams in the Eastern Conference, Philly has you know uh, an advantage that. A lot of the other teams just don't have. And, you know, a lot of people say the big man position is dead. Well, Philly clearly has the has a, the combat to that. And also, they have a lot of wing talent. They have, they have a lot of length that I think defensively puts them in a position where, you know, they could realistically be, in, you know, be a contending team that can I compete. Think, 
I think one more thing I want to talk about that you mentioned, I think um, I kind of glossed over as well until you said it, is their adaptability this year, right? They can play multiple styles. They look comfortable playing different ways, however the game goes. Whereas before, you know, if they didn't run their style, you know, you could see if Ben Simmons, ben Simmons bringing the ball up the court and then, you know, having Joel Embiid in the post. If you didn't have him uh, doing that, then they would, you know, they would significantly deflate. Whereas this year, as you were talking about, hey, they can adapt um, on the flying games. Yeah, but I mean, overall, man, the Sixers have been great this season. I think it's safe to say that they are they are actually true contenders this season. Now, we'll see what happens in the playoffs, but Philly's been performing pretty well this season. Uh, which brings us to the next team, and, and this is another Eastern Conference team that we need to bring up. Uh, on whether or not they are a contender or a pretender, and that's the Milwaukee Bucks. Now the Bucks have been in the champion, like in the championship hunt, for the last few seasons. You know, Gian- ever since like you know Giannis established himself as a superstar. You know, he's won back-to-back MVP, the Defensive Player of the Year. You know, he's one of the best players, one of the best uh, bigs in the Eastern Conference. You know, and Milwaukee has always had a few things. You know, they have a solid system, they have a good supporting cast, they have a, a pretty competent head coach in, in Mike Budenholzer. You know, and they played well on both ends. Like this season, you know, they're fourth in offensive rating, tenth in defensive rating. So you can clearly see that this is still like a good team on paper. You know, and they they still have young, nice young players. Like I like Dante Divincenzo a lot. I think he's a good player. They picked up Bryn Forbes from San Antonio, another good pickup for them. You know, so you know Milwaukee has always has you know shown themselves to be a competent organization. However, they've really been only one thing, and that's really just a floor spacing team that lets Giannis suck the defense in only to give him opportunities to kick out to open shooters. And it's kind of, over the last few seasons, it's been pretty easy to stop. You know, we saw that in the 2019 playoffs, the Raptors were able to shut down Giannis and basically, uh, as it's now called, the Canadian sweep, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, you know, they, they literally won four straight games while being nice enough to give you the first two. Um, very Canadian. But all jokes aside, it was pretty simple for the Ra- it was pretty easy for the Raptors to slow him down. You know, you gotta you just put bodies on Giannis and you force the role players to beat you. You know, and even this season you notice like and again I know a lot of you are gonna say, Oh, why are you picking the Homer picks and picking the only that Raptor game? Well, the Raptors do an amazing job at containing Giannis and the box. You know, we saw it evidently where Giannis, although he drops 30 points, but he never those are never really easy points for him to get. And then not to mention you the fact that Chris Middleton's also an easy player to shut down. It really just leaves to the fact that if Milwaukee wants to win, they need their role players to beat you if you take away Giannis. So that's been a glaring issue for the Bucks this you know over the last few seasons now. And then I just mentioned Chris Middleton, their secondary scoring has been pretty hit or miss and Chris Middleton's a, a, a decent player you know this season he's you know he's averaging 20 points six rebounds around six assists per game but he's not really stepping up to be that true go-to secondary scoring option that the Bucks actually really need especially when you know Giannis is shut down or Giannis is being contained you need that outlet in Chris Middleton and you know evidently in his last eight games you know he he's like look how up and how fluctuating his numbers are. Eighteen points against Phoenix, eighteen points against Utah, twenty three against Oklahoma City, eleven against Toronto, thirteen against Toronto, uh, twenty against Oklahoma City, thirty two against Sacramento, thirteen against Minnesota. 
So it's very up and down, and it's just not good enough, and it's not consistent, and he really doesn't do great against pressure. Like, the Raptors really, really highlighted the fact that you pressure Chris Middleton, he will make a lot of mistakes. You know, he'll, he'll, you know, throw the ball away, make a lot of bad turnovers, and just overall just be pretty ineffective for his team, especially when they need him the most. Uh, then we got to go to the Bucks defense, which credit to them, you know, this season they've been experimenting a lot with their defense. Um, but first of all, no rim protection whatsoever. Like Giannis is your best rim protector or Brooke Lopez. But again, you take those two out of the paint. There's literally no rim protection whatsoever. Uh, and there are just points where the Bucks just basically switch on every chance they get which is just not a sustainable game plan defensively. You know, case in point, you know, against the Raptors, Brooke Lopez switched onto Van Vliet like five or six times, and Van Vliet just burned him because of the fact that... And it was all just like willing switches. Like, Bryn Forbes would willingly switch off of Van Vliet and put Lee Brooke Lopez on an island. That's not sustainable for the Bucks. And then you got to also move into the fact that the Bucks have other problems where, you know... They may not have the firepower to keep up with other teams in the Eastern Conference, like a, like Brooklyn, because again, if the shot, the three point shot isn't falling, or if Giannis isn't able to get to the rim uh, and dominate, the Bucks struggle to put up points. You know, so although you know they they've been decent on paper, I see a lot of holes with them. And one last thing I'll do before I hand it over to Zishan is. The Bucks haven't beaten a good or a legitimately like good playoff team uh, yet this season. They lost to Boston, they lost to Brooklyn, they lost to Toronto, they lost to the Lakers, and they lost to the Utah Jazz. Uh, and they've also been playing in a relatively soft schedule, mainly playing teams like Detroit and Oklahoma City a bunch of times. So yeah, the Bucks. I don't know. I'm kind of in the middle with the, the with the Bucks. Yeah. Um. You know the the. The first thing to say about the Bucks and the the thing that everyone knows is, you know, build a wall to stop Giannis. Um, that's the number one game plan for everyone and seems to still be working. Um, you know, you want to point to the Toronto games. We saw that firsthand. Yeah. Um, I watched the L.A. game, the Lakers game earlier in the year. The Lakers did the exact same thing. Um, and especially when, like, LeBron wasn't guarding him every possession. But when LeBron switched on Giannis and was like, yo, you're not scoring on me. Giannis couldn't do anything, right? Because LeBron, when he wants to be that defender, he can. And uh, Giannis, unfortunately, doesn't have any really go-to moves. He doesn't have a repertoire on offense that he can use to uh, work around guys who, who don't get bullied like LeBron, right? Giannis can't bully LeBron, so Giannis has to go to his counter moves. The unfortunate thing is Giannis doesn't really have any counter moves, right? So he can't do nothing really to LeBron. Um, so that's the general point about the Milwaukee Bucks that we all know, you know, build a wall to stop Giannis. Um, and again, it, it seems to have been working. But diving to some, you know, more points that peop other people don't really talk about as much. You were pointing to it, uh, you're alluding to it with the Raptors game, right? Their, their, their defense. Their defense is still a top-ranked defense in the league. But we can see it's not the same defense that they've had in previous years. Now, again, as you're saying, a lot of that has to do with Budenholzer trying to experiment, implement new principles into his game plan. However, again, as you were saying, a lot of if you look at them and you watch the tape of them, a lot of the defensive principles that they're trying to implement have kind of been butchered. 
um, and have kind of been messy, to say the least. Case in point, a guy like Brook Lopez, who... Brook Lopez was a big reason why in the past two years Milwaukee has had the success that they've been able to have, especially in that first year when he came and he was hitting like 40% of his threes being a defensive player of the year candidate. Brook Lopez, unfortunately, kind of looks his age this season. It looks like he's kind of fallen off a cliff. Um, and we we know that the thing that was so impressive about Brook Lopez is that he completely changed his game. He was never known as that kind of defender. But now this season, it seems like he's kind of regressed into what he was before in terms of the fact that you, there's a number of plays where you can look just in the couple of games that I've watched where Brook Lopez has absolutely butchered um, the def defensive game plan that Budenholzer was trying to implement, uh, where he's so used to just dropping back into the paint. He's letting people get wide open mid-range jumpers, whereas Budenholzer is trying to make them switch more. Um, or Brook Lopez switches unnecessarily, right? You were talking about Bryn Forbes and Brook Lopez not knowing anything what to do. Speaking of Bryn Forbes, he's a great three-point shooter, but he's a liability on defense. Um, and that's kind of been an issue with the, the rest of the role players outside of Drew Holiday um, and Giannis and Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton, again, has kind of been hit or miss, but he, he is what he is, right? We, we kind of know what he is. Whereas the other role players like Bryn Forbes, Bobby Portis, um, Torrey Craig, what are you going to get from them? And if they're being inconsistent, as inconsistent as they have been, Milwaukee does not have a great chance because of the fact that Giannis is not a offensively gifted player, right? He's not going to be able to drop 40 points at will. So you're going to need some of that secondary, secondary scoring. And if Chris Middleton isn't able to provide that, you know, outside of Drew Holiday, what are you going to have with this Milwaukee team? So in my opinion, I think for me, I'm going to unfortunately say uh, Milwaukee is a pretender, but, you know, what's your verdict? Yeah, I mean, like, that, that's, like, I was actually just getting to that. Yeah, I'm saying Milwaukee is actually a pretender, and you actually uh, touched upon, I actually totally forgot to even mention Drew Holiday, because he's been on, he's had COVID uh, for the last few weeks, so he hasn't He's been playing. good, but, yeah. Y you know, I even took a peek at Drew Holiday's numbers. They're not really as eye-popping as people would expect it to be, but again, when you're getting, like, maybe like 16 points and 20 points from your second and third options, and that too, it's hit or miss a night. It's not as sustainable as you would want it to be, especially when it comes to the playoffs where things are going to slow down. Defenses are going to key in on some of your best players, and you know Giannis is going to expect double and triple teams. And when guys like Middleton and Drew Holiday and like you mentioned, the role players aren't stepping up, you know they might not have enough to compete to keep up with the other team with the, like a Philly or a, a Brooklyn, and that not to mention one more thing about the defensive uh, end of things. You know I don't think the Bucks defensively have the tools to even you know kind of match up with with a team like Brooklyn. Like for instance, like would you put you'd put okay you'd put Giannis on Ke Kevin Durant, so that takes Giannis away from the basket. So that's one thing. So he can't protect the rim. Then you would, what what would you do? Put Chris Middleton on James Harden. And then well, Drew, I mean, you would kind of have to because Drew would probably be on Kyrie because that makes the most sense. But then, you know, that's that's the danger of Brooklyn, right? So you have two great defenders in Giannis and Drew Holiday. Who's going to take that third guy in James Harden? Exactly. You're asking a lot from Chris Middleton, right? So, and, but here's the argument I can make for Philly is that at least they have the length to do that. Like they have, you can throw Ben Simmons. Then you can maybe throw a look of Embiid. Then you can throw a look of Matisse Thybul. Sure, Danny maybe throw Green. To Danny Green, Tobias Harris. Like you have a lot of guys you can throw at Brooklyn's big three, and you can switch up the looks as well. 
Now, I don't know how sophisticated Doc Rivers' system is to do that, but they have options where Milwaukee just doesn't. And I think right now, I just I don't see them them winning a championship. Uh, one more one more thing we didn't even talk about because it's kind of obvious at this point. But Mike Boonehose also gets coached every single playoffs. So yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, I mean he gets out coached by Nick Nurse too, but like that's nothing new for us now. So he gets out coached by everyone. If we're so, being real, yeah. So at this point, I have to say Milwaukee's a pretender. So, but we're gonna have to see what happens with them uh, uh, heading into the playoffs this season. Which brings us to the next team. And again, I have been heavily, heavily critical of this team. And I'm not going to apologize because they are doing, like, they're playing like shit, you know, over the last few... makes us happy as a Raptors fan. It makes me very, very happy. But I do have to acknowledge that the Boston Celtics are among the teams pursuing a championship this season. You know, there's no denying this has been a lackluster year for the Boston Celtics. You know, especially this last stretch of games, like they fell below 500. They just got blown out by the Atlanta Hawks today. And after blowing a 24 point lead against New Orleans. After blowing a 24 point lead. So Boston is, you know, in a lot of trouble as far as the standings are concerned. But there's no denying they have great talent and they have a very good coach. I mean, they're 15th in offensive rating, 14th in defensive rating. So, again, it's not really eye-popping, but, again, you do have to factor in that Marcus Smart is also injured. So, that also skews the numbers in, in a different way. But this year, you've seen Tatum, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have been absolutely fantastic. They've been absolute studs this season. You know, they've, you know, really deserved and earned their All-Star nominations this year. And they're only getting better, which is the scary part. Like, they're, like, what, 23, 24 years old, respectively? Maybe 25 for Jalen Brown? So something like that. Super young players, man, and they're only getting better. So that Boston has them. That Brad Stevens has shown he's had a great system that he utilizes his wings to be able to guard multiple positions, and for the most part, it works very, very well. Like you know, as Raptor fans, we've seen it firsthand how frustratingly good the Celtics are defensively, just based on the fact that they'll switch. They can switch anything. You know, they can switch Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. They have that, you know, that core of guy that they can use in multiple different scenarios. Um, and especially, like, when Marcus Martin is healthy, the Celtics have an amazing, amazing defense with Tatum and Brown, you know. And it makes them a very strong and capable defense, you know. Over the last, you know, few seasons, you've seen them in defensive ratings. Like, last season, they were fourth in defensive rating. Uh, the year before that, they were seventh. Uh, the year before that, they were first. So you can kind of see the Celtics have always been a very, very good defensive club. And, you know, that's been a sta- uh, you know staple for them. But they also get good production from their decent production out of their role players. You know, they get the most out of, you know, guys who they find, you know, whether or not, like, if it's a Peyton Pritchard or if it's a, uh, in their case, a Grant Williams, a Robert Williams, Time Lord. So, um Boston always or semi Ojale. So Boston always finds a way to get some decent production from the role players. The problem though with the Celtics is can they keep up offensively with teams like you know Milwaukee and Brooklyn? Because they can hold their own defensively. I don't see Boston having trouble on that side of the ball, especially when Marcus Smart gets back. But when they are forced to have their role players win games, they aren't really able to keep up 
And what I mean is that when we get to playoff basketball, you highly expect Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum to be double teamed at any chance. Then Kemba Walker has struggled this season, so we don't know how good he's going to be. Uh, and I don't think he's going to be able to fix it because he, I think he's playing through an injury and, I, and you know, I don't see his production improving this year. So that's another wasted option. So now you're forcing guys like Marcus Smart, you're forcing guys like Robert Williams, Grant Williams, Semi Ojale, you're forcing these guys to step up and beat you. And, you know, it depends on the night. You know, some nights Semi Ojale just catches fire and can't miss a three for whatever reason. And other nights, he's absolutely garbage. And same thing you can say with Grant Williams, Robert Williams, Peyton Pritchard. So that's the major problem. And, you know, this season, they're, they don't have as good as depth as they had in previous seasons. In particular, they don't have Gordon Hayward anymore, who was, again, I, I think a lot of Boston fans really, really undersold the, his impact for them because you lost him now. And you can see how well he's playing for Charlotte. And now you don't even have Terry Rozier anymore, who, again, you lost him to Charlotte. Wow, you gave up a lot of guys to Charlotte. But you can see, you, 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 get, you gave up on some of these guys, and you don't have the depth you used to do. So are you able to keep up? And that's kind of where I'm at with Boston. I think for me, I think where my verdict stands is I, would, I have to classify them as a pretender just because they, they're just missing that... that, that extra piece that extra offensive weapon that can truly take them to that next level yeah i think you touched upon it um they're they've brad stevens has managed to get as much as he can of guys like sammy ogley and and grant williams or Payne pritchard though again Payne pritchard is a rookie so i'm not gonna really talk about him that much um uh, but guys like grant williams uh semi semi ogley Daniel Tice, you know, Time Lord. Time Lord's been pretty decent as well throughout the season. But, you know, he's been able to get some production out of those guys. The problem is in in playoffs, you know, when role players are expected to step up even further, how much production are you going to be able to get from them, right? They Those guys are not the most talented guys in the world. They've gone to the point where they are because of, you know, playing gritty, hardworking basketball. But we know you need some talent on your team. You need some depth. And that's what's really lacking for the Boston Celtics right now, especially when you have your heart and soul of the team and Marcus Smart missing games, right? Now, do we know Marcus Smart's a very impactful player for the Boston Celtics? Yes. I don't think anybody expected him to be this impactful for the Boston Celtics. Or maybe he's just not that impactful for the Celtics. Maybe the Celtics are just stinking it up right um maybe like he has a great impact but not to the extent that the celtics are this bad without him and you know as you talked about gordon hayward is not there anymore uh you don't have a bench piece like terry rozier uh marcus smart i mean marcus morris anymore yeah, him. so you're missing some players that you once had and helped you fill out your depth now that you don't have which is why they're trying to acquire a guy like for example harrison barnes because of the fact that they they do need that wing depth right when you know especially with Kemba Walker struggling now you're asking Jalen Brown Jason Tatum to pretty much do everything on offense right because of the fact that you're not really surrounding them with anything else um outside of those two Jeff Teague has been absolutely terrible he looks like he needs to retire if we're being real um he's been terrible Tristan Thompson is you know Tristan Thompson is not going to be asked to carry the offensive load he's good at what he does but you know that's it so 
it's been i think some of the 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 issues with boston have kind of been overstated and people panicking because at the end of the day this is a very good team but you know they're just marcus smart missing and again as you talked about they're kind of just that one more piece away from trying to get back to that spot that they once were if they're able to get a for example harrison barnes then i think you could really see this team transform overnight but right now they're just in one of those i think mid-season funks that a lot of teams go through um and for me as a championship contender, if you want to be serious about contending for a championship, unfortunately, you just can't go on droughts like this throughout the season. You can w- maybe like lose two or three games in a row, but to do what the Boston Celtics are doing right now, I can't see a it's contender a free fall. out of them. Yeah, it's a free fall right now. Like. And championship caliber teams we know don't have free falls like this in the season. The max, again, they'll go on is like a two, three game losing streak, right? They're, they don't have free falls like this. Yeah. And for that reason, I can't see Boston as a serious true contender. Um, yeah. Again, they do have championship aspirations. But for me too, uh, I'm going to have to say that they're a pretender. One more thing, point quickly on the Celtics. I think a lot of people are kind of starting to realize is that Danny Ainge has a lot of blame to be taken for the Boston Celtics, uh, you know, struggles this season. And a lot of it has to do with him being very frugal and not, you know, being opportunistic and taking it, you know, going after players when he knows he has the assets to do it. You know, he missed out on Kawhi. He missed out on Paul George. You know, he missed out on a few other a few other notable names out there that are slipping my head at the moment. So, oh, they were in the sweepstakes for Anthony Davis, too. So Boston has had op- ample of opportunities to go after star-level talent. The problem is Danny Ainge has always turned it away or said the price was too high or wasn't willing to give up the assets to do so. And you're kind of seeing it now. It's kind of hurting them in that regard. Case in point, not getting Miles Turner this summer, and we've seen what Miles Turner has done this year, right? Imagine Miles Turner being that guy for, for the Boston Celtics, how much better they would be. So yeah. as you talked about, you know, Danny Ainge, I think, also shares a, a part of the blame in, in the Boston Celtics struggles. The final team we're going to talk about um, to round out our list is the Utah Jazz. Most now, popular the Utah, team right now. Yeah, the Utah Jazz have been, I think, by far the best team in the league, right? I think we can both say that. They've been the best team in the league so far. They have the league-leading record. Um, and they've taken a significant jump up from where they were last year. They were 10th in offensive rating last year. They're third this year. They were 13th last year in defensive rating. They're second this year. Um, they own the first uh, overall net rating this year, whereas they owned a ninth, uh, ninth net rating last year. So the Utah Jazz overall have just been great everywhere across the board. Um, they've, they've been great on the boards. They've, they're second in rebounds. Um, they've, they've been, you know, the main story about them is that they've been shooting lights out. They've been shooting 39.7% from three, which is third in the league. Um, and they're first in three point makes, right? They're first in three point attempts. So if you're shooting that, if you're shooting pretty much 40% from three and you're taking the most threes in the league, that's a recipe for success. Now, again, as I'll talk about, is it really sustainable? Especially in the playoffs, we're about to see. Again, this is a very weird year without fans, so maybe it is for this year. 
Um, but yeah, in terms of specific players, everyone's been great. Rudy, it starts with, you know, Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert has been amazing on defense as he always is. He's probably the league leading candidate in defensive player of the year once again. Um, but the change in Rudy Gobert has been his offense, right? He's taking a bigger role on offense. He's been able to attract more attention on his dives. He's been a more willing, uh, dribbler and passer when he gets into the lane. Whereas before, you know, he, if he got the ball and he couldn't get a lob or, you know, get a hook shot. He wasn't going to do anything with the ball. Now he's expanded his game even more. Um, he has much better what he has much better chemistry with a guy like Mike Conley. Um, they've been able to build up their chemistry after a year of working together. Right. So Rudy Gobert starts with Rudy Gobert for the Utah Jazz success. The guy I was just talking about, Mike Conley, after his atrocious start last year, he's been absolutely brilliant this year. He's returned to Mike Conley form. He's built up a better chemistry with Rudy Gobert, whereas where now he's being able to find him on those lobs, on those dives to the rim, um, whereas before he was kind of more used to the, those short rolls and those pick and pops with Marc Gasol. So now he's being able to build up that rapport with Rudy Gobert, and he's shooting much better for them. Um, Jordan Clarkson, he's been the sixth man of the year so far, and as we predicted, I think we're right on our prediction that he will be the sixth man of the year this year, um, averaging 18.3 points on 45.7% shooting and 38% from three. Jordan Clarkson has been absolutely amazing as the Utah Jazz bench gunner. Didn't he have like a 40-point game off the bench? Yeah, he did. He did. Jordan Clarkson has been absolutely yeah. amazing for the Utah Jazz. Um, another guy that's kind of been lost in the shuffle is Derek Favors. Now, I was very surprised that the Utah Jazz were able to sign Derek Favors. And I was also excited that the Utah Jazz signed Derek Favors. Because of the fact that now with Derek Favors coming off the bench for you, it allows you to, to play the exact same way that they would with Rudy Gobert there on the court. Obviously, it doesn't have the same magnitude of, as Rudy Gobert, but Utah's allowed to play the same way. Whereas before, when Rudy Gobert checked out games last year, you know, you'd have to play a completely different way with, for example, you know, Tony Bradley coming to the game or whatever. You know, you couldn't play the exact same way with Rudy Gobert not on the court. Now that you have Derek Favors, you're allowed to run the exact same system because Derek Favors can kind of be a worse version of Rudy Gobert on the court. And then finally, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich being great as usual, Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal, George Niang. And of course, they have their all-star Donovan Mitchell, who's doing his Donovan Mitchell thing. So overall, the Utah Jazz have been absolutely great. Um, they've had another season of building their chemistry up, which has allowed their coach, Quinn Snyder, to open up his playbook even further and allow those guys to flourish. Um... And I think the main question for them is, I've seen it a bit, you know, is, are they the next 2015 Atlanta Hawks or are they the next 2014 San Antonio Spurs? I think that's a very good argument to be had. Um, obviously, we're not going to be able to find out until the playoffs. And when it comes to the playoffs, the same kind of issues, I think, exist for the Utah Jazz, where they kind of lack the firepower. Um, now again, they are shooting great this season, but in terms of individually, I think they do kind of lack firepower, especially when they're going up against like, uh, the, the Clippers, the Lakers, you know, the Denver Nuggets, you can see them struggle, have some problems to keep up with the scoring output. Um, so, and then obviously, you know, Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gobert is the catalyst, the main, uh, part of this team. 
but we've seen that he's had his issues in the playoffs when teams specifically target him and make him come to the perimeter and try to abuse him on the perimeter. So, you know, we're going to see if Quinn Snyder can mitigate some of those issues this year in the playoffs. Um, and then finally, one more point. Every loss that the Utah Jazz have had is when a team was able to outshoot the Utah Jazz. Meaning, the Utah Jazz, though they've been great, have kind of been limited in the success that they've had. Where if a team is able to outshoot them, the Utah Jazz have not been able to kind of work around it and play a different style in order to win. So their wins have kind of been at the same the same way over and over again, which is fine in the regular season, but we know with game planning uh, every single day in the playoffs and scouting at an all-time high, the Utah Jazz will have to adapt game to game. And so far, um, it's a recurring question of whether they'll be able to do that in the playoffs. Um, for me personally, and then I'll let you go, I think... The Utah Jazz have been great. Uh, I like watching them. Unfortunately for me, it's just ah, the Clippers and Lakers are just there, man. I, I think I'm just going to have to say until I can see with my own eyes, because this has kind of been a recurring theme for the Utah Jazz. But until I, be, I can see it with my own eyes, I'm going to unfortunately have to classify Utah as a contender. Now, I'd love for them to be an actual contender. But again, I have to see with my own eyes, to be honest. I've actually you know, quietly followed the Utah Jazz for quite for a little bit of time now. Um and I've always like I've always kind of admired what they've been doing from from afar. I really liked the, the acquisition of Donovan Mitchell. I thought that was an amazing amazing move by the front office. Uh Gobert has been fantastic. Uh even the Mike Conley move that we that we talked about on on on, an, on a previous episode when it first happened. We actually really liked it for the Jazz. We thought that's exactly what they need. And even some of the role players, getting Boyan Bogdanovich, amazing signing. Royce O'Neal was a great developmental role player who has really established a good a good role in their system. And, you know, Joe Ingles has been has doing his Joe Ingles thing. Joe Ingles has always been a fantastic player uh, in this league. And then not to mention you bring you bring in a guy like Jordan Clarkson, six a six man of the year candidate, and has been has given you that spark plug off the bench, which filled a weakness Utah had in previous seasons, where they didn't really get another a lot of secondary scoring. Now they got that. Then they they went out and they fixed an issue they had last season, where you know they didn't really have a good backup center behind Gobert. Well, now you have Derek. You went and got Derek Favors back. So the Utah has slowly but sh- kind of put together a pretty solid roster. You know. On both ends of the floor. And I think now you're seeing kind of everything kind of click together for them. Where, you know, they're getting the scoring on top of the defense. Then you're getting the shooting. Now you're getting the consistency. And this is a team, man. Like, this is a team with a good coach. They move the ball. They play the game the right way. They have a young stud who is their main option. You also have a defensive anchor in the paint. Then you have a secondary secondary guard who facilitates a couple of scores and Bogdanovich and uh, Jingles. And I'm not going to lie, I really, really like this team, man, on paper. I think from a depth standpoint, from an overall like just constru- roster construction standpoint, this is probably one of the best examples I've seen so far in the league. Um, and it shows, man. It just shows that when you build a team the right way, like, and you develop them, you give them time to grow, you can see the the benefits to that. 
And the Jazz have been great this season. Now, I, am I going to say I've watched every single Utah Jazz game? No. I haven't really been following them, but I've seen their record, and the numbers don't lie. You know, the fact that they're like 25-6 and six right now of a record is pretty insane right now. Like They've that, been good teams as well. They've beaten good teams, man. Like they, they, they've established themselves as you know being legitimately a good team this season. But I think it comes right back to your point that you made about is this a, 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 an instance of the 2015 Hawks who great has a great regular season only to flame out in the playoffs? Or I mean, they didn't flame. They didn't flame out. They ran to LeBron. <laughs> oh yeah, we had that for the Raptors, like. Every single year, but regardless, the, the the Hawks didn't play great in the playoffs that year, anyways, to begin with. Or are you the 2014 Spurs, which means that you're the start of a pretty consistent uh, dynasty, you know, or being able to be a championship team that built your team the right way. So I don't know. Like I think I would love for them to be a you know a contender. Because I think they have a lot of the great the pieces put in place. But man, you're going up against LeBron and AD, uh, Kawhi and PG. And I I just, I don't know if if this team is has the, the talent to, to, to overcome that. And so for now, I'm going to have to put them as a pretender as well, man. But just based on that fact that how realistic is it for them to win a championship? Sure, they have all the pieces to do it, but is it realistically going to happen? The odds are kind of heavily against it. And that's what it comes down to, right? We're not defining contender as someone who has championship aspirations because clearly Utah wants to win a championship and they're in a prime position to do it. But it's whether or not we think they're in that top, top, top tier of championship contenders right it's also if they're gonna win like if you're not gonna win a championship you're not really a contender if you don't have a legitimately legitimate and realistic case to win a championship you're not really a contender you know exactly and then before uh before people start going crazy about me comparing it to the 2014 spurs i'm not saying the players are the same obviously you know tim duncan and Kawhi leonard and whatnot but I'm, i'm talking from the sense of a great team with very good players who are not at their peak, right? Kawhi Leonard was not at his peak yet, and Tim Duncan and Tony and Manu were declining by that time. But a bunch of very good players who play very well as a team, right? That's what I mean, and are able to win a championship, whereas Atlanta was not able to win a championship. That's what I mean about the 2014 Spurs. So don't don't come after me, oh, I'm saying Rudy Gobert's the next Tim Duncan or something. They're also a deep team. Like that's another comparison you can make to that to that Spurs team is that this Utah team is a very deep team, and you need depth in the playoffs. Like I don't care what anybody says, you need like sure star like the playoffs is where stars shine. Yeah, but you need supporting players. You need good role players, and Utah has some good role players, man. But yeah, those overall, man, those were kind of our breakdowns and some of the teams that are in the the championship uh, uh, pursuit. Let us know what you guys think. Do you agree or disagree? Who would you classify as a true contender or who is actually a pretender? Let us know what you guys think. Uh, But with that, to conclude this episode, we want to jump into the up and under segment for this week. Uh, A lot of things happened. First of which, are you up or under on the East and Western Conference All-Stars being announced? Now, uh, 
I would I would put up a list, but I'm sure I'll put probably put throw up on the screen for YouTube. But there are some notable snubs from the All Star selection. Uh, in particular, you're looking at Demontis Sabonis, uh, Fred VanVleet among one, and Trey Young. Devin Booker would have been one, but he was actually recently named an All Star to be an injury replacement for Anthony Davis. So, are you up or under on the All Stars in general being announced? And you know, do you have any major concerns with that? Listen, man, there's always something you could say about the All-Star teams, but for me, I'm up. I think they nailed it for the most part. I think we got our predictions for the most part right. Um, there's our a starters are pretty accurate. Our starters were pretty accurate. There's a couple of players you could, you know, change here or there. Um, but in terms of, you know, we didn't have Zion Williamson in the All-Star game. Um, we said he has a very good chance to make yeah, it. and he We did made a case it. for him. Um, and then there was a lot of outrage about Devin Booker, Chris Paul. Now, I literally called this when we talked about our Western Conference All-Stars, right? I said, we have Devin Booker in our All-Star game, but I feel and I believe that the coaches will vote in Chris Paul. Why? Because Chris Paul is the main catalyst, the, the, the you know, the anchor, the, the leader of that team. And the coaches value that higher than a scorer like Devin Booker, which is why I said Chris Paul will likely make it over Devin Booker. Um, and he did. Now, Devin Booker obviously got in because Anthony Davis got injured. So, you know, good for Devin Booker. Um, and then, you know, when we're talking about snubs, um, well, again, I said Ben Simmons was also a honey. Disagree with me. But then I still the, do. The, uh, nah. Uh, still 16 the last points guy, in All-Star? Doesn't matter, on, bro. Man. Doesn't matter, on, bro. He's, no. arguably, he's arguably the best defensive player in the league. You think Rudy Gobert shouldn't make the All-Star team then? I was not... I mean, as far as like a big, he's really the only other big that you can put in there. Like, who else no, are you gonna really? Who are you gonna put in in the West? Who are you gonna put in? Like, I don't really, um, I can't really think of anybody. I'm gonna, I can, off the top of my head, that I can put in over Gobert. You well, know what I'm saying? Know. I can't, I can't think. In of the East, off the you top can. In the East, you can make that argument for for Ben Simmons because there are guys who. Yeah, but who? who okay, there. so that that brings me up to my point, right? Uh, a lot of people are arguing about different players. But the main yeah. people, the main thing people have to realize is that if you're gonna make an argument about for a player, you have to be willing to replace somebody, right? Yeah, and this is a thing a that a lot point. of people miss, right? A lot of people are like, "Oh, Demontis Sabonis should have made it." Well, I completely disagree uh, with. I completely agree with Demontis Sabonis should have made it. But who are you going to take out, right? Uh, does Nikola Vucevic deserve to be taken out? Not in my opinion, but that's a toss-up of what you decide, right? Fans will go out. And be mad about oh Trey Young didn't make it, but who are you, are you going to replace Zach Levine with Trey Young? Right, you have to give a, a a requisite. You have to give a replacement for the player. You can't just say oh this guy got snubbed because there's only twelve spots. That's why it's the All Star game, right? There's only twelve spots yeah. per team, so people have to realize that. I'm, but yeah, I mean at the end of the day, it it it, it is what it is. You know, there, there's only twelve spots, but I think the criteria to make an All Star game needs to be a little bit more ironed out as far as who is legitimately an all-star like is it someone who puts up great numbers or is it someone who puts up great numbers on a team that's actually performing well because that comes back to the case that you made about Sabonis he's putting up just as good numbers as Vucevic is but his team is doing far better wouldn't you argue that that's better but Vucevic is on a team that's decimated with injuries it it really comes down to that and then also when you I can bring up for the same point for Fred Van Vliet you know a guy who on the team who's a fifth seeded Raptors, you know, if people are still stuck on the two and eight start, well, what you, what have you been seeing for the last like twenty games after that? You know, 
So it, it it really comes down to I think they need to iron out the criteria a little better. And and also the Bradley Beal situation last year, right? There you go. Where, you know, if the coaches didn't have Bradley Beal making it last year because of the fact that his team sucked, why do they have him this year then, right? Because his team well, is he doing got the, the fan same thing they did last year. Yeah, the, well, that's the difference, right? Yeah. Fred, uh, Bradley Beal was able to get the fan vote because of the fact that the coaches didn't vote him in last year. But it comes down to my point of what I said when we made our all-star predictions for the East. If Bradley Beal is not able to get that fan vote, would the coaches put him in? Or would it be the bias of, oh, we didn't put him in last year, we're going to put him in this year, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of people... There, I do agree that some of the details need to be ironed out. It's just whether it's possible to even iron out, right? Because it's such a loose definition of an all-star. Um, yeah. And, you know, like there's not really much the NBA can do, if we're being honest. Like, I don't, I don't know what you can concretely change about the all-star selections. Um, so I think overall, though, I think we're pretty satisfied with the all-star team, right? There I mean, nobody really wants to play the game there. still. No one still wants no, to play the well, game. Well, I mean, so. we've, we've literally talked about it to death, man. Like, yeah. Yeah. we, the all-star game should not be happening in the first place, bro. Like, that's the problem, right? So, I mean, what do you guys think about, you know, the all-star rosters? You know, uh, like, you guys, who would you guys rather have, Right. Um, if you guys have any snubs, make sure to say who you're going to replace them with. Yeah. Um, that moves us on to our next topic uh, of the Houston Rockets releasing DeMarcus Cousins. So are you up or under on this move? Um, I think I'm up on it for both sides. I think for the Rockets, they really found out that Christian Wood is their future at the center position. Uh, and he does a lot more things that... And he's a lot younger. He, you can do more uh, defensively and offensively with Christian Wood than you can with DeMarcus Cousins. And I think for DeMarcus Cousins, I think he wants to be in a situation, at least in this stage in the career, where he can go out and win a championship. And right now, at least legitimately, like he's been on championship rosters, but he's not actually been the catalyst to win one. So, Well, it, I mean, technically he hasn't been on a championship roster, but he was on the unofficial... It's it's organization very for the Lakers, right? So it's it's very confusing for Demarcus Cousins, but I think he wants to legitimately go out and win a championship, and it's good for him. I think a contender will look into him and pick him up. Um, maybe the, maybe the Lakers might pick him up again, or hell, maybe the Clippers might go after him. Who really knows? But I think it's good for both sides. Like Houston gets to move on, and you know, go in a direction that they feel better suits their timeline. And they allow DeMarcus to have the freedom to do as he wants for his career as well. You know, I've seen people talk about, oh, Houston should have done that. DeMarcus Cousins did this. Let's be real, bro. You guys are caught up on the DeMarcus Cousins name power. Yeah. If we're being brutally honest, he has not been good at all this year. Right? That's that's the honest He's been truth. okay. Now, again, no, he hasn't. He has not been good. At least from now, what again, I've seen. Now, again, it's not, it's not, it's not. I, I can't put the blame on him because injuries have unfortunately just killed his career. But, you know, Houston's not going anywhere, clearly. Um, and DeMarcus Cousins is just playing bad on a bad team. So you might as well be able to take a role as, you know, a, a bench, a deep bench piece on a championship contender and at least be able to, um, you know, not put up the stats and be able to sacrifice minutes in order to at least achieve something worthwhile in a championship right so i think it's again as you said um i'm definitely up on it from both sides yeah so moving on 
So now this is a bit of a bit of a sticky situation. So Minnesota did a thing, and no, it's not winning because they're just not capable of doing that. But are you up on the, on the Minnesota Timberwolves firing Ryan Saunders and then actually just hiring Raptors assistant Chris Finch basically within the same night and so basically overlooking current assistant and former Trailblazers assistant uh, David Vander Vanderpool uh, for the job and Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum were not happy about that. So are you up or under on the whole situation regarding Minnesota? The firing of Ryan Saunders, the hiring of Chris Finch, and the overlooking of other candidates that they might have been able to go to take a look at. Um, I would say I'm under on it from I think mainly the optics point of view. It, yeah. it just it's not a good. It, it it doesn't look like a good situation from the Timberwolves side of things, and especially when you just look at what the Timberwolves or, organization is, right? A dysfunctional organization. And so this move does not help them in that regard. Now, am I opposed to them firing Ryan Saunders and hiring Chris Finch? No, I'm not, because I said Ryan Saunders kind of needed to be fired last year, if I'm being honest. Um, and hiring Chris Finch, I think, was a good move for them, especially it indicates... Um, a recurring problem for them, which is Glenn Taylor, their owner. And this literally indicates that Garson Rosas, who had ties with Chris Finch in Houston, Chris Finch was likely his number one candidate to start the season as the Timberwolves head coach. But what happened was Glenn Taylor reported, probably told uh, Garson Rosas to hire Ryan Saunders instead, whereas Garson Rosas did not want to. And he wanted to hire Chris Finch. And this is exactly how it played out. Because of the fact that he didn't even look at David Vanderpool. Now, I don't believe that Garson Rosas had any bad intent to it. It's just, you know, he was hiring. He wanted to hire Chris Finch, his friend. But, again, in the time that we're in, you know, again, I guess bad optics. You know, like, I'm not really opposed to it. But I can see where some people might have a problem. Especially with, you know, David Vanderpool. Just he, him being there and him just being passed on right away um and then finally just i think the situation was very interesting too because of the fact that i can't remember the last time i think it was uh i think it might be like lionel hollins or somebody that the last time an assistant got hired in the middle of a season and what's well, interesting yeah. is that the timberwolves literally just played the raptors and then one game later chris finch is their new head coach right so i think this is a very this is a very weird situation from all angles but yeah, no, I don't know. I, I feel like I think it was the right move for the Timberwolves. I think they just didn't play their cards yeah. well, if I'm being honest. Yeah, that's probably the best way to put it, man. Like, I think the optics side of things, it was definitely a weird situation that Minnesota kind of created. Um, Like, sure, you fired Ryan Saunders. And again, I've always kind of defended Ryan Saunders that maybe, you know, you know he doesn't really have the talent uh to do anything with and his schemes weren't always that bad at least from what i've seen out of them but you can't deny you have carl anthony towns d'angelo russell malik beast like you have talent on that team so you shouldn't be this poor um so yeah i i don't mind that he got fired because at this point you've had some time to get it right and if you don't you don't you know it's it's a it's a make or miss league as we all know uh so that that's fine with me. And then hiring Chris Finch again. Chris Finch has is a very good assistant coach, like very good coach. You know he has a lot of experience coaching at multiple different levels, and you know I don't. I think he definitely deserved the head coaching role. 
Uh, he has a lot more experience in Ryan Saunders, so that's definitely a thing uh, that has an advantage. But so I don't mind him getting the job. I do mind that, yeah, David Vanderpool got passed over when he was there. He wasn't even considered or wasn't even given time to be the interim coach to see what he can do. So, like, maybe, like, Minnesota could have hired Chris Finch in the offseason. They didn't really have to do it, you know, this, like, right away. But I guess they wanted their guy. And I also don't really like the narrative that people are making that, oh, another black coach got passed over for a white one. You know, at some point, you can't just keep labeling that for every single black coach that doesn't get an opportunity. You know, and I get it. There is a scarcity of black coaches that aren't get that haven't gotten those opportunities. But I don't think this was a case a case now, and I think it's more so in the line of what you were saying, where uh, Glenn Taylor, you know, kind of forced you know Ryan Saunders to be there when the general manager kind of wanted um, Chris Finch, his a, a longtime friend that he's known for quite some time, uh, to be there. So I think that's more so the case, but. Mm. Not to mention, Garson Rosas is uh, Latino, so it's not like he's yeah. know, white either, right? He's a person of color as well. So yeah. I think the, the whole narrative of, uh, you know, the black coach being passed over in this case, I don't think, for me, it was really justified. Now, again, is there an issue? There is, There is. you can definitely make a case for an issue um, in the NBA, in the NFL especially, I think, uh, you know, the fact that Eric Bieniemy has not gotten a job I think you know it's crazy, but you I don't know think he I think any of those jobs. If I'm being well, real. I mean, if I was him, I wouldn't accept that Houston job. Either, no, absolutely bro. not. Absolutely not. But um, yeah, like it's a very it was a very bad optics situation for the Timberwolves. But I think I don't I don't I can't criticize the move yeah. that they actually made, right? Yeah. Um, and that's that's what it is. Um, finally, are you up or under on the Dallas Mavericks? Uh, according to a report, they were shopping Kristaps Porzingis. However, Mark Cuban himself um, later denied that completely and shut that report down. So are you up or under on the situation surrounding Kristaps Porzingis and um, if you were, you know, a possible trade for him? Believe it or not, I'm actually kind of up on it. Now, you know, players are able to be traded. Like, there isn't a circumstance where a team will not at least answer or at least shop a player to say, hey, what could I possibly get for this guy? And I think in the case of Porzingis, injuries have really taken a toll. Like he's, it's taken him some time to recover off of these these knee surgeries he's had over the last couple of seasons. And we've seen it with big men, you know, the ACL is one of the toughest injuries for big men to come back from. And Porzingis hasn't really been that same guy for the Mavs. And, you know, I think for the Mavs, I think they're kind of looking at it like, hey, you know, we like Przingis, but could we get something better for him? You know, I think that was more so the, the, the case. And Mark Cuban denying it, he's supposed to deny it. Like, what is he supposed to really do? Um, you know, uh, so I'm I'm up on the fact that, you know what, I even I would look at it, what could I get for this guy? You know, he's not really, he, he's been good for me, but he hasn't really been great for me. Could I possibly trade him for a great player? Maybe. I mean, but I don't really find out if I take a look. So, I don't blame them. Yeah, Chris S. Przingis was brought into Dallas to be Luka's co-star. Unfortunately, as we know, for seven-foot guys, if you have knee injuries or lower body injuries, that's that pretty much spells doom for your career, right? And Chris S. Przingis has been no exception to that. Um, 
interesting side note we did i think everyone uh for the most part hated on the knicks for that chris that's porzingis deal but they might have actually won that deal if we're nah, being honest i'm not ready to concede yet uh i mean it's there's still some time but I'm not the conceding way yet. that it's going right now the new york knicks might have come out on the better side of that deal which is very interesting Man, but we'll yeah see. in terms of you know going back to the dallas point of view like Luka's still a very young player, so you still have time, but you never want to waste a superstar like Luka Doncic, right? Ask ask LeBron uh, how he felt in Cleveland, right? You don't want to waste years of a superstar like Luka Doncic. So if you can get someone better for Chris Asperzingis, shoot, man, explore it. Problem is, I don't think you will. Like, there's not yeah. really much you can do with Chris Asperzingis given his contract, right? So, um, yeah, I don't know, man. Like... I think for Dallas, you might as well just shop him. But again, yeah. considering they're not going to get anybody for him, it makes completely it makes complete sense that Mark Cuban would just deny it because you don't want to cause any problems uh, with one of your star players, right? So, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens with Porzingis. Uh, it's it's going to be ongoing, but I don't blame them for the, for what they're doing. But with that, that concludes this week's episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Definitely subscribe to the show and on the various podcasting platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio. Uh, even now, YouTube, basically wherever you can find a podcast, you can find us with the Up and Under podcast. Also, check us out on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Up, Letter, and Under podcast, Facebook.com slash Up and Under podcast for all the latest updates whenever we post a new episode or a reaction to news, uh, like the All-Star, like our reaction to the All-Star picks as they occur. So definitely check that out if you haven't done so. Also, check out our website, upandunderpodcast.com. It's our central hub for the show. It's basically a place where, you know, you can either listen to the episode or even read a blog post with every single episode if you don't have time to listen to the whole thing. So definitely check that out if you haven't done so already. And, uh, yeah, man, we're getting we're getting very close to that midway point of the season. More craziness is going to happen with the trade deadline, so... That'll be interesting. Yeah, and the NBA actually just released the second half of the schedule, so, uh, yeah, we're, we're getting closer to, uh, to the end of the season. So we're going to... See what happens, man. But yeah, with that, that concludes this week's episode. We'll see you guys on the next one. Take it easy. Easy.